Welcome to another amazing episode of Anything But Typical. This week, we've got the king of sales, Jeffrey Gittimer, on with us. And in true Anything But Typical fashion, you're going to see that we're a little backwards today. We've jumped right into the conversation and didn't really get even to the introduction for about 15 minutes. So hang in there, enjoy the episode, all the impromptu conversations, and be sure to head over to abtpodcast.com for every episode and business clips from the show. Enjoy. Yeah, we, we, I grew up in a country club and my, okay. my brother was a scratch golfer at 19. Really? Uh, my father was about a five or a six. We, my dad actually sponsored a guy on the tour, but I <laughs> shoot a hundred and I didn't give a flying flip. And I would go to garage sales and buy a $2 club in somebody's backyard and when I hit the ball in the water, I would pick my shit club out of my bag and throw it in the water after the after the ball. And people would go, she threw his club in the water. Like people on the golf course have no they they have no fun at all. But I wrote a I wrote a whole course on how to do business on the golf course because I played golf with pro athletes every weekend with with our golf pro, and then I you know would play golf occasionally with with people, and. The, the the primary rule is they'll never remember the score of the round unless they had the best round they ever had or they got a hole in one or some something weird happened. But they'll always remember that you cheated on the third hole. True. And yep. they think that's how you're going to do business with them. True. It's It's an amazing sport. And you don't change your shoes in the parking lot. You change your shoes in the clubhouse where it's civilized. Right. People just don't get it. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you. Yep. I'll find out all kinds of things about you that we didn't know. Well, you hang out with the Jews, you find out all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so are you ready to get this party started? Uh, it's a party already. Exactly. Do you know Walter Putnam? I don't. I, I, the name sounds familiar, but I can't. I don't know why. Northwestern Mutual Life Financial Planner, been my financial planner for about 30 years. Okay. Um, asked me the single best question I've ever been asked before by anyone in business. What was that? <laughs> he had already got me a main platform speech at the yeah. um, Million Dollar Roundtable in Chicago where there's 5,000 people in the audience. I met him on an airplane. We had a mutual connection and we, he said, have you ever spoken at the million dollar round table? And I said, no, he said, well, I'm on the selection committee. You're in <laughs> full fee, first class air, whatever. And about three months later, he shows up at my house and I had no financial plan. And we sat down with my then wife, that was like two wives ago. And he said, Jeffrey, who are your three most trusted advisors? That was his initial question to me. Mm -hmm. And I really had to think hard because my father had passed on and I, I gave him three names. And he said, hey, tell me a little bit about each one. And I did. And then he said, tell me how each one became your most trusted advisor. Mm. by the literally at the end of the first story i was crying 
Wow. And mentally writing him a check, which I had been doing now for almost 30 years. Wow. And he has become one of my three most trusted advisors. Right. Makes sense. I mean, if he's been that staple for 30 years. Yeah. And he's, he is one of the top 10 Northwestern mutual guys in the world. I think the name sounds familiar because I believe I've heard you say that story on a podcast before. Yes. Could. I could have. Yeah. You have. Absolutely. You've mentioned him before. And you said uh, that, uh, you know, I think <laughs> at your last wedding, uh, it was the one <laughs> he didn't ask you for, <laughs> for money. Or yeah. It's the only time he's ever not brought something for me to sign in, <laughs> in the hundred times we've met over the last few years. So I'm a, I'm a book collector and my library has about 10,000 books from personal development, sales, attitude, you name it. This is a book that I had for 20 years, how to become a super salesman. And it's all about how to read people. And it's by this guy, um, doesn't even give you the author's name on the cover. Um, it's by this guy named Arthur Newcomb written in the 1920s. Well, this book is a 1980 reproduction. And a week ago, I've been, had a Google search in, uh, a eBay search in for the original version. And I, after almost 20 years, I found it. And it's a series of these little oh, booklets wow. on how to become. Really? It's seven, and then in seven, the 80s, somebody put it together as one book. Yeah, well, they kind of skimmed it over. Oh, okay. But this is this is um, the secret of successful persuasion: how to make people believe you, how to make people want things, how to make how to prepare for the word of command, <laughs> how to give the word of command and be obeyed, <laughs> how to size people up, and. Lesson seven is some famous sales analyzed. I mean, come on. This is like freaking treasures. Anyway. Yeah. So I got that yesterday. That arrived. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Add it to the yeah. library. Christmas yeah. is early, even for the Jewish guy. Christmas, Christmas well, is That's because Hanukkah is on Thursday. <laughs> right. It's amazing. Unreal. Let's get this party started because you're. I don't want you to tell all the good stories before we actually start the podcast. Yeah. Um, ben, what do you want to like do when you grow up? What do you do? You want to leave the insurance thing and crank it out on your own? What What's your? Um, yeah. So I want to. I want to run businesses. Um, one of them, I think, should be a financial planning business because I'm I'm good at it. But I also know the the better way to structure. There's a lot of the bigger ones that are really lagging the direction the industry's going. Um, and mm -hmm. I want that to be one of the ones in, in the portfolio. Um, what direction is the industry going? So there's a few different things. One is, is the cost structure, right? Of um, they're still trying to fight and push commission style investments, even though Europe is away from that for over a decade. And yeah, um, so that's certainly one of them. Um, the second one is the experience technology has advanced infinitely faster than what the industry has done. Um, and so I, I know there's a gap there. 
uh, especially as people are more and more tech savvy, they want that to be a staple in the experience. Um, like I've got a client who, who lives in Charlotte and we don't ever meet in person basically anymore because one time we just hopped on a Zoom meeting and he just realized how convenient it was up to Huntersville. So there's a few things like that. Another one is the style of investments. Uh, a lot of the big ones still push mutual funds because they get trails and have revenue sharing and there's a ton of conflicts of interest. So there's a few of those types of things I think need to be fixed. And then the other side is on the advisor side of making that experience better. So advisors want to stay with one company. They want to be able to grow their practice and not just hop around from one company to the next, wherever they can get another check. So uh, early on, the insurance company lagged behind technologically because of compliance issues yeah. mm -hmm. that were erroneously given to them by their legal department. And I did a lot of stuff for some pretty big insurance companies. And I, I challenged them to call their lawyers up and say, what, tell me what I can do, not what I can't do. Right. And one of the things that compliance lawyers have in common is all of them have no balls. <laughs> and it's not that they were castrated. It's just that they are just chicken shits. Yeah. And it's easier to say no to somebody and literally ruin their sale than it is to say, do this or do that, it's okay to do. And they couldn't do a newsletter and they couldn't do a, you know, they, I mean, it was just crazy what they couldn't do. Yeah. Um, but um, this book is getting an awful lot of traction because most people don't know how to go live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, on accident, when COVID started, you remember COVID, the uh, phony um, pandemic? Um, when COVID started, I decided that salespeople are going to need something. So I went online live each day. Well, I'm still online each day. It's been now more than 250 days. My audience started with, I don't know, nine or 10 people, two of which were my daughters and one of which was my wife. And it's now over a thousand people before I get off at 10 o'clock, 10.30. I start at 9.59 and I'm done by 10.30. And by the end of a week, depending on what the lesson is, there'll be somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 views. It's amazing. But people come on from all over the world. Literally, and they fight to be on first. They, they brag <laughs> that they're in the top five of people to come online from Japan and Singapore and Australia and Russia and all over Europe and South America and, and South Africa. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable who shows up and my old friends show up. Um, Pat what Hazel is, who wrote Seinfeld for eight years and Mitch Joel was on this morning to wrote six pixels of separation and the uh, control alt delete book. He's, I, I mean, I have my buddies show. They just want Hey, what the hell's Gittimer doing today? And they know at nine fifty nine <laughs> they can come on and look and find me. <clears throat> yeah. What has that done to your your LinkedIn following? Because you're at you're I think you have one hundred and ten thousand on LinkedIn or oh no 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 that's Twitter. You have like sixty something on on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. On yeah. LinkedIn, I put I literally begged them to let me go live for six months, and they turned me down three times. I found an inside inside guy through a friend of mine who got me approved. Wow. 
I have 29,000 legitimate connections. I'm out of people that I can accept yeah. into my tribe. Yeah. Yep. So uh, how, what has it done? It's literally doubled my viewership yeah. and the quality of people has gone up because LinkedIn is the business channel. Yep. Yeah, it, that's right. But this is a very important element of what I'm doing. Every morning, if I'm on for 30 minutes, there may be 10 or 15 minutes worth of actual content. So I have a VA firm in the Philippines and they take my content and edit it into a 10 minute video and repurpose it. Well, and they, I do the same thing with my podcast. Um, if you look at my Instagram, I have only have about 13,000 uh, followers on Instagram, but you can swipe up at 10,000 so I can sell anything I want. When I began the, um, the, um, morning live show on Facebook. I didn't even know about StreamYard. Now you can combine all of your platforms into one broadcast on StreamYard and I do that. But I created a course called The New Normal. I just I stood here in my in my studio in my in my office in my library, made 37 videos about what to do now, how to recover from the pandemic, how to emerge from the pandemic because I discovered three kinds of people are going to emerge. Winners wine whiners and watchers those are the three people that are going to emerge and so i put this course together i teased it on my live show and when i literally let it go it was six figures worth of sales in about two days so, so they're willing to, i don't i don't hype stuff i don't pitch stuff i i rarely yeah. give an offer to buy something but when I do, they buy. Yeah. Well, and a and big reason for that probably is because you're not always trying to push something, right? It's when you do, it, it means yeah. something. Yeah. So, and, but the guys are there. There's a guy um, from Hell, Norway. It's a, literally, that's the name of his city, Hell. And he'll say, greetings from Hell. And he's and on Hell every has day. frozen over. It had hell has frozen over, but I told him that um, I, I don't think we should get political. But if the wrong guy is in the right house after the election is over, I'm moving to hell. I'm going to go from this hell to another hell. <laughs> all I need is a ticket. Now, my problem is I don't like sardines, and that's all they eat over there. I think I'm not really sure how that. Works. A little salty. All right, let me do the quick intro, and then we we'll we'll have to tie all this other stuff in here. Do, do the intro fifteen minutes into the episode. I like it. Go for it, Gary. <laughs> oh yeah, Gary. <laughs> hey everybody, <laughs> welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast, and I'm laughing just because uh, we have Jeffrey Gittimer on here, and you probably have to be living under a rock if you don't know who Jeffrey Gittimer is. You certainly haven't been a reader of any of the business journals across the country because he was our number one uh, columnist when I was running bizjournals.com. And we will get into some of that, I'm sure, but um, you're in for a treat. And, and he's really the conductor. We are not, we're just along for the ride. So I'm just telling you. So this is about the only time I'm going to be able to get a word in edgewise. So 
Jeffrey, I've got a, a serious question and I am not putting money that I'm going to get a serious answer back. But here's the question that I'm going to ask of you before Ben goes into some of your accolades and some of your background, because you've got a lot. But here's the question. So you're walking through the terminal pre-COVID and probably you've got your daughter and your wife with you and somebody realizes that's you with that daughter and wife of yours and they're talking about you as you come back from the gift shop they're still talking about you but they don't realize that you're within earshot what is it that you wish that they would actually say about you I my feeling is uh something that's happened to me in airports literally all around the world People will come up to me. I had a guy come up to me in Newark, in the Newark airport. And he goes, Jeffrey Gittimer, I carry your book with me wherever I go. And he pulls out the little gold book of Yes Attitude. And literally the, the yellow wasn't yellow anymore. And he said, would you sign this for me? Because it's changed the way I think. It changed the way I interact with my family. Everyone in the family has the book. It's, and that's it's a compliment that you can't even say anything but thank you to. So I sign, you know, anything anywhere. I, I used to have a coin business card and I would give it to people um, if they, look at this, watch this. I've got it. It's in here somewhere. For the people listening right now, as soon as... Uh, that was mentioned. Gary got up and went into his desk, and I'm pretty sure he's. I, I still have it, Jeffrey. It's probably moved around. So here's the deal. I still I was, have it. I was called in sales. We trust. Right. I was called a month ago by Gerhard Schwantner, the guy that runs Selling Power Magazine, and he said, "Jeffrey, tell me about your coin business card." I said, "Gerhard, do you have one?" He goes, "Yeah, I do." I said. Uh, you know where it is? He goes, yeah, just a second. And like Gary, he leaves the video and comes back and he holds a coin up. I said, Gary, about how long have you had that? He said, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years. I said, Gerhard, do I have to say anything else? <laughs> 20 years. Me. I've had yours 20 years. Who keeps anything for 20 <laughs> seconds? <laughs> People get a business card, they photo it that goes into their Evernotes or whatever, and it somehow deciphers what your fax number is, like anyone gives you shit, and, and you throw away the card. No one ever throws away my card. Someone always shows it to somebody else. And, and the answer, people go, well, how much does that cost? It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you have to ask how much, you don't even get it. So the, the challenge that people have is they're not memorable enough to go from one thing to the next thing they just don't have it and so i'm i'm challenging everybody to take their marketing department if they have more than five people in there to cap everyone count off by twos and shoot the ones you'll cut your expenses in half and you'll have a lot of motivated twos but in the meantime the marketing people don't understand creativity at all and i'm going to give you an example they have a pm S or PMA color, you know, we're PMA matching system. Right. Um, Pantone, it's Pantone, yeah. right. 
and it's a green, but it's Pantone number 384. Who gives a shit about what the color is other than the marketing people? And the answer is nobody. Right. It's about our brand. <laughs> oh, seriously? Seriously, it's about your brand? You're known by 482? That's your, that's your boom? Or are you known for quality? Well, and, and a lot of new business owners get caught up in that type of stuff too. They'll spend months trying to figure out the right font and the right color instead of just going and doing business. You're better off doing it by hand. But this is the biggest challenge. It's now Christmas time or uh, holiday time. I don't want to piss anybody off. Um, and you'll get cards in the mail, correct? Yep probably get less of them because mm -hmm. now people can do e-cards but why would you do any card why would your marketing department create a business card and wonder if you should use the word is or was and spend an hour debating it why don't you go i i have an affiliation with a company called hippo video in india hippovideo.io if you want a URL to put in the chat, it's usehippovideo.com. That's my, that's my URL for them. Why wouldn't you just make a video for Christmas and send it out to people? Hey, I know it's been a tough year and, and uh, we're very optimistic about 2021 and I'm actually rededicating myself to all my customers. I wanted to make sure you were included in this message because I'm grateful for your business. Talk soon, be with your family, be safe be healthy boom where's that video yeah where's that video the people the people that don't i i, I don't know how to describe this but people who send out business uh, christmas cards are 20 years old they're 20 years ago past the video is the new black video is that i in the book it says video is not the new black it's the new green money and the people who are endorsing it and the people who are embracing it get the fact that they can actually be perceived as human, different, emotional, valuable. That What do you do with a Christmas card when you get it? You put a piece of scotch tape on it and you hang it around your desk for a month or something and then you throw it out or do you just throw it out right away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an, but if you got a video from somebody, you go, Bob, you got to see, look at this video. And Bob might be the CEO of the company. Yep. And it stays there, right? It's, it stays on your computer. It stays on your phone. It doesn't go into the garbage. Correct. And you have to look at this thing. I, people will call me. I send a video out to somebody. They'll call me and go, how'd you do that? And that person becomes a customer. Mm -hmm. it's, it is, we're living in a time of transition uh, the, the pandemic has caused all kinds of upheaval and some of which is actually good. You know, look at how many travel budgets do you think are going to get cut this year because CEOs realize that you don't have to fly to Cleveland to see somebody for the first time. You can Zoom them and who wants to be in Cleveland anyway? No offense. Nobody wants to be in Cleveland. Nobody. I did 13 winners. Believe me. I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> Cleveland don't want to be there. <laughs> my, my friends in and, Cleveland 
don't appreciate this, but you would appreciate it. I'll say, well, Joseph spent 13 years in an Egyptian prison and I spent 13 winters in Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. So for the few people who have been listening to this and don't yet know Jeffrey's background, I'm not going to give the full Wikipedia, but I'll give everybody a quick snippet of it. Um, he's known as the king of sales. He's an international sales trainer and keynote speaker. Uh, Jeffrey's the number one best-selling author of 15 books. I think all 15 have reached number one, right? Including the, uh, the one with the most sales is the little red book of selling that's hit over 5 million sales, as well as the, mm -hmm. uh, the sales Bible. And he's got a new book coming out called go live, turn virtual connections into paying customers. I'm really excited to be able to dive into that because just like we were talking about early on the shift that that COVID has brought on has I think exposed a lot right and and your book addresses exactly that what what this pandemic has exposed and how we can evolve to become better companies better salespeople, serving people in a, in a better way things like that so I appreciate so video and virtual used to be an option until COVID, it's now no longer an option. It's, it's part of the norm. Yep. And I refer to it as the new normal. Everyone seems to call it the new normal now, but it's a different way of approaching something. And in my opinion, a better way, less expensive, much more emotionally connecting, but there's, there's a paradox. And the paradox is because it's new, most people are unprepared. I, if you're a sales guy, I don't wanna see you uh, on a virtual meeting in front of your closet or in front of your bed that's not made. I wanna see something that's professional. I wanna look at my background, how nice it looks. And I have, um, I have a, uh, I can do this, oh, this is pretty cool. I use Anyvu, anyvu.com for a professional background. It's a small business down in South Carolina. The people are amazing. Their daughters are sewing up the stuff. It's about 300 bucks, but you can put your logo behind you. And I've sold hundreds of these things for these people. I even, we have three ourselves, but all it is is a backdrop not a virtual backdrop where your hand disappears when you go to the left or go to the <laughs> yeah. right. It's, you look, it's a little hokey. So this is a real background. It's portable. I, you can, you know, I fly it to the beach and um, I'll set up my, my show on, you know, I'm going to be there this weekend because I, I have a writer's weekend. Then I'm actually and Gary, I'm actually helping people write their book because I've written 17 of them and they're not just books, they're readable books, they're actionable books, and they're saleable books. So I help people with their title, their subtitle, their table of contents, and their front matter. And then I put them in front of publishers who are my friends that you could never get to in a million years. And the only reason they're my friends, you ready for this, is because I sell books. Because that's all publishers give a shit about. That, that, literally, that's all they give a shit about. Oh, yeah, yeah great book. Uh, what's in your... Uh, uh, what's your platform like? That's all they care about. Yeah. 
So I want to dive I, deeper into your, your writing process, right? Because 17 books is, is a, an astronomical feat. So can correct. you take through what, um, what that writing process looks like? Is it a, a daily thing? Is it when you have the inspiration? Do you go away to do writing? What does that look like for you? Um, I've been writing, I started writing for the Business Journal in Charlotte in March of 1992. Since that time, since that first article was written, every penny that I've earned since March 23rd, 1992, I can trace back to something that I wrote. Wow. So writing leads to wealth. That's first things first. But my routine is very simple. I have a, I'm in my library in my home and I wake up in the morning and I do five things. I read, I write, I prepare, and that causes me to think and create. Now, I've been doing that every day for about an hour, sometimes more, but every day for 25 years. That's consistency. And so far, I got 17 books and somebody else is an expert on what happened on Netflix last night at nine o'clock while they were drinking a beer. It's a choice. I, I choose to write and other people choose to go to sleep a little foggy. I'm, I'm not a foggy guy. I'm a, just a regular guy. I don't, I mean, I, I grew up in the 60s, so, you know. Bill Clinton said, I never inhaled, I never exhaled. <laughs> but I think that there's a, um, there's a circumstance that says, what are you doing? How do you, how do you grow up? You and I uh, first met when I was at bizjournals.com. And, mm -hmm. um, and I want to take the listeners back a little bit to some of your history, because that's what, you know, one of, there are a few things that I remember Besides my coin, and I do have it, <laughs> because in, get, in sales we trust, and it's it's a side view of your head. And yep. I showed it to a lot of people. Actually, I met one other person that had one of those, and it was in a company that we acquired in 2006 when I was in private equity. They were the only other ones that had one of those kind of coins. But when I, when I think back to first meeting you, you were just these, even as you spouted off, hey, March 23rd, 1992, when I had this first article published in the Charlotte Business Journal, you were very grateful. And you would always say, Ray Shaw, who was my chairman, he was the guy that put all those business journals together. He gave me a platform. He gave me yep. a statement. And you were always grateful for that. And, um, and some people know you as the guy that would get kicked off of US Airways because you would kind of be in their face. About no, I'm a dick. If you're from New York City, you're a dick. And if you're from Philadelphia, you're a dick. It's part of the deal. Um, but but um, Mark Etheridge gave me my first shot at it. You know, he was the publisher of the paper until the anti-Semite took over. And um, but I don't want to mention any names because it wouldn't be fair to her. Um, but I wrote every Friday for 15 years. 15 years. And editors hated me because I was more read than they were. I was That's the most true. read thing in the paper other than the front headline. 
People, sales guys would get the business journal, turn to my column right away because they knew it was fun or funny or irreverent. And it built my career. I, I would go around the country and speak and I would get 500, 700 people to show up at a seminar that paid me a hundred bucks a pop to just show up. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So I have to tell you this, Gary, I did a seminar in Baltimore, uh, the Baltimore Business Journal. It was in Towson, Maryland. There was about 750 people in the room. Some lady comes up and says, you know, I'm, I'm here today. I read your column in the, in the Business Journal, and I'm hoping I can get one thing that I can just take back to, you know. And I said, well, you're going to get a lot of things today. This, this seminar is going to be fun and full of information. And she goes, Oh, this is not a seminar. I said, what are you talking about? She said, you see all these people here? They came to honor you. Oh. And since that time, I, every seminar I've ever done, whether it's corporate or public, has been a whole different view for me. Completely, I look at it completely different in that people are not there to get beat up they're there to be encouraged and they're there to get something that they can walk away with and turn into money and I, that's how i've taken it and yeah i'm a little rough and a little edgy and i swear a little bit but swearing to me is vernacular <laughs> yeah you're philly <laughs> right you walk into a cold call in new york city and you're greeted with who the fuck are you that's the greeting they give you they're not politically correct about it. They don't care about it. They don't care if you die. And that you have to make a sale in that environment and you have to do it quickly. And so that's really the basis of, you know, between writing for the business journal. And by the way, Joanne Skoog, who was the, the, uh, the editor, she would blue line my column in pen and, and, and blue line pencil. And I asked her if she would give me back her edits every week for years so that I could understand how an editor thinks and I could write in that congruency so that she would have to use less blue lines. And sometimes I didn't agree with what she did and I'd tell her, um, you can change my, my uh, lexicon, but you can't change my words. Just can't do that. And my grammar was already good anyway because I grew up in Haddonfield, New Jersey where we had a grammar lesson in high school, every, a grammar test every day for four years. Wow. Every day. So I'm pretty good at there, there, and, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to fool me on those things. But editors have a way of arranging things, and I wanted to know what it was. So I would ask her for her, for her blue lines. And that made me a better writer. I, I literally went to editing school for th three, maybe four years. Every single Friday, she'd give it back to me. Yeah, she was a very good editor. Um, here's, here's, here's a statement that I need to make though, because you are a polarizing person because of some of the vernacular vernacular that you use. And I, I, I mean, right. And I, I saw it with Ray and other people, but you were also, but here's the thing. I love the genuineness of who you are. You are who you are whether you're in U.S. Airways and you're giving it to somebody or you're signing somebody's 
little yellow book that's no longer yellow because they've been carrying it. You are right. who you are. Same, exactly the same. Yeah, and and you know, real quick little story. So I was gone, like I said, thirteen winters in Cleveland, and I sent you a note and I said, "Hey Jeffrey, I'm back in town. I would love to do breakfast with you. Let's go grab breakfast." And you said, "Yeah, under this condition, you're going to come to my house." <laughs> <laughs> to your menagerie over there, and I'm going to fix you breakfast. Wow. I mean, I'm a nobody. Jeffrey Gittimer is a big somebody, but um, I, I just love that about you. So, you know, anybody listening, yeah, you're going to learn some great tips on sales and that sort of thing, but one thing that you are going to learn, I think, from Jeffrey, and if you can get past, if you're if you can't deal with some of the language, um, then, you know, I understand, but I'm not, your guy. I'm, I'm not your guy. If you want to be politically right. correct, I'm not in that category. I don't, I don't dance well. And interestingly, you know, uh, my claim to fame is that I'm the only person ever to be thrown off of us airways. <laughs> I was banned for like 11 months. Okay. There's a thousand posts about me on flyer talk somewhere. And the reason they banned me, there's two reasons. Number one, my column in the business journal was in every one of the US Airways hub cities. And I wrote two scathing, but true articles about them that they didn't like. And then one day at the airport, one of the gate agent people said, uh, we have, there's a maintenance issue. And I yelled out, bathroom or engine? And she goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, then pick up the phone and find out. <laughs> and that evidently pissed her off to a point where she started crying. And oh, then I, wow. I, I was abusive. Bathroom or engine got me thrown <laughs> off of US Airways. I, I literally, I was going to Kansas City to do a seminar and I got a FedEx letter saying, find your own way home. <laughs> they were from Philly too. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And the, you know, just, just like anything else, um, you have your run, you do the best you can. I, I know that I'm responsible for thousands and thousands of subscribers to the business journal. I know it. Yeah. And you think the editors liked it? No, they were jealous of it. You know, they, they think that they can, editing is one thing, writing is a whole other thing. Yeah. You have to, I can edit, they can't write. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, they can pick apart writing and I, I'm fine with that, but there has to be a subject, there has to be a theme. I have a strategy, you ask me how I write, I'll tell you exactly how I write. I write like I talk. Yep. I, I don't, Keyboard, I voice to text. I use Dragon for Mac. You can use Siri now, you can use almost anything, but I, I was an original user of Dragon. And it always blows me away when, it, when someone says, well, sometimes I get writer's block. Like, seriously? If you write like you talk, you never have talker's block, ever. I mean, can you imagine me calling you up, Ben, go, yeah, Ben, um, I'm calling you, but I, I can't really think of anything to say. So maybe you can help out with the conversation. I mean, it's absurd. 
Yeah. Anyone and you've been doing this daily right. for, I was going to say, you've been yeah. doing this daily for 25 years too, right? So you, you yeah. find your voice, you find how you want to structure the story and the sentences and things like that. And that type of time and commitment, most people never get anywhere close to that, which is why you've been able to kind of refine it. I observe and I collect ideas. And when I find that idea, I text it to myself. And that keeps me full. Um, I got 10 more books in me if I never get another idea. And so you had, you had mentioned a few minutes ago um, the being rough around the edges, right? And how that doesn't appeal to everybody. But I, I want to dive deeper there because I think also a big aspect of why you have such a strong following and raving fans like that is because of that authenticity, right? You are who you are and people are going to resonate with that. So right. has, and I just understand if I'm in Philly or I'm in New York, no one even knows I'm using bad language. Right. right. Everyone does. Right. It's how they talk. Mm -hmm. Yep. But keep going. Right. So when right. somebody logs in and, and watches your video, if they're not from one of the few cities where, where that's just the norm, then yeah, it's going to be more polarized. Um, but like I said, I, I think that's also why you have such a strong following because the people that do resonate with it are going to, to log on to your, your live every day and things like that. So has that been something that you've done because it's natural, because of where you grew up, that you've done that since the beginning of this in the, in the 90s or has it evolved at all? I've been doing it since the 60s. Well. <laughs> and and um, people who, I, I'm, to me, I'm, I'm black, red, and white. Many people who are politically correct, their favorite color is plaid because they don't want to piss anybody off. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I, if I piss somebody off, I don't mean it. I don't mean to piss them off, but if, if they get upset because I say bullshit, it's not my guy. It's not my person. I can't help those people. They got to go take a job at, at, you know, in a department store, you know, I, I, I can't help them. If they want to grow the ladder, if they want to sit down and talk to a CEO of a fortune 500 company, I'm your guy. I'm totally your guy because I've done it and, you know, made million dollar sales. And so I, I have a value and that value can be conveyed to other people if they're not offended. If you're easily offended, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm just not for you. Yeah. And I'll tell you in advance and I apologize, but get over it. I want to people back a little bit, Jeffrey, because so you said your writing career, if you will, your grammar career started when you were in, in, in school, right? Grammar school, yeah. young, right? Yeah. But yeah. then you said that you, your fir that first article on March the 23rd, 1992, was when you got that first article published in the Business Journal, which that's not even a small and insignificant feat to get into the Business Journal, but then to become and become the routinely best, hands down, most favored column across all of those 41 business journals that were there when I was president of BizJournal.com. And one thing I always remember Ray saying was content is king and local, local, local. You know, those were kind of his mantras. Ray Shaw is just a, an amazing human being. But you, you, 
between grammar school and 1992, you were doing some stuff and you were building expertise in selling as well. So take us back to some of that. And then even the fascination, because you've got a library of 10,000 plus sales books, I think, and original copies, like it's an amazing collection. Tell us a little Um, more about that part of the journey to help us understand that you didn't just, you know, start writing, you were actually doing something and then you started putting it. I write experientially, Gary. I think that's the easiest way to explain it. I've had experiences in New York City where people want bribes and people, you know, I've had every kind of selling situation that you can possibly imagine. I've had appointments set for me that ended up in very large sales. I've cold called and had very large sales. I had I called my aunt one day because I knew that she had a brother who worked for Revlon. That ended up cold calling Charles Revson on the 49th floor of the General Motors building. And you walk into this like antique floor, entire floor of, a, of, a, of an office building. And I'm hanging with Charles Revson. I'm saying, hey, I got this idea for a t-shirt. I think we can double the sales of Charlie. He says, cool, come with me. So we go downstairs to another guy to some, you know, the guy who's in charge of the Charlie brand. And he says, hey, I like this kid. Whatever he has, buy it. <laughs> That's how that sale was made. And, and you know, if you, you have to have the moxie in order to be in sales, there's a certain degree of self-confidence and swagger, assertiveness, not aggressiveness. And you have to be able to find an angle that gives you a competitive advantage so that when you make in this, when you walk in the sale, you're more likely to make it more likely to make it not hundred percent, but more likely. And uh, I developed that in Manhattan for years. You know, you cold call somebody in New York city and they'll slam the door in your face and say, I have no time for you. And I would knock again and I would go, did you mean today? No time today. Can I come back tomorrow? (laughs) Okay. Now, two things would happen. I would either hear more expletives than I've ever heard in my life, or someone would come back to the door actually smiling and I could make an appointment with them. But if you don't have the balls to go for the second knock, you got a problem. You're going to be like, everyone slam the door in my face. Seriously? It's, It's New York. Everyone slams the door. What's your point? Mm-hmm. And people think they're rude. No, they're not rude. They're matter of fact. Big difference. They have no time. They're matter. I'll, you go into a Starbucks and, and we lived in Manhattan. My wife and I lived in Manhattan for a couple of years. And um, I go down to my Starbucks because everyone has their own Starbucks. And you go to the barista and you go, hey, how's it going? And they go, what do you want? They don't want to talk. There's somebody online right behind you. And they're moving you through, babe. You, you got two seconds. Yeah. Two seconds. That's it. And it's fun if you make it fun. Or it's a pain in the ass if you make it a pain in the ass. It's up totally 100% up to you. So what about what about the sales resonated with you at, at such an early age? Because like you had said, most people don't have... The, uh, the mentality to make that second knock. 
but it seems like there's something within sales that has resonated with you, which is probably why now you're known as the king of sales, right? So I'm curious about yes. that. It's, okay. So when I was growing up, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a Philadelphia fan. Richie Allen just died, my favorite baseball player of all time. Um, I went to a thousand sporting events in Philadelphia. You root because you want to win. You want to win. I owned a couple of racehorses. You want them to win and you fight to win. And you're in an environment where you fight to win. I went to summer camp where I learned how to, I'm in a bunk with 10 kids. You love five, you hate five at the end of the summer, but you've been in a fight with every single one of them. But you learn how to play competitive sports and you play to win. You play hard, you play till you bleed to win the game. That's sales. It's sales 101, you play to win. And most people are willing to, they, they go to some school where they learn some closing line and it's, it's bullshit. It's weakly, it's weak bullshit because they don't understand how to transfer value to somebody else. They don't understand how to make a deep connection. They don't understand how to ask a question that evokes emotion. They're too busy worried about their, their income and not busy enough worried about the customer's outcome big. And so I'm worried about outcome. I want somebody to have a great time and I want somebody to win, be victorious. And I want them to have a great time. And that helps me one by one, build my reputation. So when I'm in New York city winning, I want to make sure that if I'm selling to a jeans maker, they all know each other. They all know each other. They all talk. I don't even have to ask for a referral. Someone will call me, but there's a, there's, there's a moxie that goes with it that most salespeople do not have. Um, in 1976, I bought the license to the um, Bicentennial, the star with the little swiggles around it. Okay. I bought it for imprinted sportswear. I'm going down to Montgomery Ward in Florida at the time, huge buyer department store. And I'm having lunch with this buyer guy and we're sitting there talking and couple old ladies come over and they, they look at me, they go, excuse me, sir, do you have the time? I said, yes, but I'm not in the mood. And my buyer fell on the floor laughing. <laughs> that won me the business. <laughs> hey, Jeffrey, I gotta, I gotta stop, do a quick little pause and we're gonna rewind the tape a little bit right here. And here's the pause. You said you root because you want to win and everybody wants to win. Now, I've also seen, I want you to describe what winning is because I've seen people that will run over everybody in the name of winning, where it's basically just me, myself, and I winning. But that's not how, how you describe winning, I don't think. So can you? describe what winning is for you winning in business is letting the other person feel like they have won they get what they want they perceive a value in you and they perceive a goodness in you that they like you they believe you they have confidence in you and they trust you and if those four elements are present then you may make the sale and interestingly, the most powerful one is like. If I don't like you, I'm not coming anywhere near you. 
But if I like you, I, I'll get to know you a little bit better if you engage me a little bit better. So I can tell you that, you know, if no matter, because I've traveled so much and I've been so many places that no matter where you're from, I have something in common that I can talk to you about. And whether it's Charlotte or Cleveland or upstate New York or wherever, we can talk. And we can talk in a way where you're comfortable enough to talk to me. Maybe it's about kids. Maybe it's about uh, ex-wives. Maybe it's about uh, Paris. But whatever it is, I can carry on a conversation with you in a way that it, the friendship becomes deeper. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, a classic example. I was asked by a guy named Ron Zemke who wrote Knock Your Socks Off Service. He called me one day and said, hey, um, I want to write Knock Your Socks Off Selling. Would you do it? And I said, um, sure. And he invites me to Minneapolis where he's from. And I get into his office and he has all of these Bugs Bunny cells, you know, the, from the old cartoons. So I'm the biggest Bugs Bunny fan on the planet. I have a book in my library of all the Bugs Bunny cartoons. I have, I, I have Mel Blanc autographs all over the place. I have Chuck, I have a hundred Chuck Jones autographs, a hundred. So we're talking and he comes back with a book called Chuckamuck. Uh, the uh, book of Bugs Bunny and all the cartoon characters. And it was an autographed copy by Chuck Jones. He goes, I have two of these. Would you like one? Wow. I'm like, yeah, I want one. Now, what does that do to the friendship? Yeah, I mean, it takes it to another level, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, whatever, I, whatever doubt I had was completely alleviated because of Bugs Bunny. Just think about that. Yep. And so you, you, what, what do you have? And it's known as a shared value, not a thing in common. Big difference. You know, you may have gone to the, to the same school, but who cares? But Bugs Bunny, that's a shared value. Yeah. Because it's part, of, but it's part of my fabric, the same way it was part of his. Yep. And yeah, I'm, I'm, been blessed. I met Chuck Jones. I, I've had stuff personally signed by Chuck Jones. So when he's showing me this stuff, I'm going, it was unbelievable, literally unbelievable. And it's a coincidence. <clears throat> um, serendipity is God's way of remaining anonymous, if you're a believer. And that those that serendipitous process pops up in your life if you've earned it. If you haven't earned it, it somehow escapes you. Um, I have for years said that I have um, an ever-present, very expensive guardian angel. That I, I just before my head hits the ground, somebody's there to charge me a few bucks and catch my head just before it hits the pavement. It's happened many times. And you, I'm sure you've had it happen to you. Like, how did this happen? Right. How, how much of that do you, the, those coincidences, do you try and control now, right? Because with technology and online, you can find out just about anything of people. Do you do that research ahead of time? Um, sometimes. If I doubt, I'll do research. Okay. Because I want to find out. I can't, you know, if you Google my name, Google me right now. Just tell me how many things pop up. 
<laughs> All right. Just Jeffrey Gittimer return. Uh, about 450,000 results. Right. No negative ones. There's no rip off. There's no, I mean, there's no jip. There's no, you know, none of that. I somehow have managed to avoid that my whole career. And I don't own any of the bad URLs. I just, I put myself out there. I try to be the best person I possibly can. And I let the world take care of me like I take care of the world. Mm -hmm. If I do something for you, it's because I want to, not because I have to. You don't owe me anything. And when you don't pay me back, then the world pays me back times 10. So you, you look at, at life and I don't, I don't, I don't have, nobody owes me a favor. Oh, guy, guy really owes me. No, he doesn't. You did it because you want to do it and you give it up. Yes. So look at, at where your reputation is because that's everything. I'll Google people because I want to find out more about them in a nice way. If it's an edgy thing and somebody's wanting to do a monetary thing with me, I, I check it out. Okay. Because there's, there's, you know, there's good people and there's not good people. Right. People pay the bills, people don't pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jeffrey, would you go back to those four things that you said? Because I thought that was really important. And this is one of those points where, you know, people like you, know you, believe in you, and confidence in you. Is that, is that were those the four? If they like you and they believe you, and they have confidence in you, and they trust you, gotcha. then they may buy from you. And I'll ask my audience, I'll say, which do you think is the most important? And they'll all say trust. And it's not. It's like. Because mm -hmm. if well, I don't comes like before you, trust. A thousand times. Yeah. A thousand times. If I don't like you, I'm never going to trust you. Ever. Right. Yep. Yep. Trust is a development, right? Trust takes time. Like is... is significantly sooner than even getting to the point of being able to trust somebody. Correct. Um, Gary and I have been to the same restaurant a few times. We go to Bell Acres down the road on South Boulevard. Bell Acres is, um, I've been a member since it was 50 bucks to join. It's now 10,000 bucks to join. And <laughs> The only reason I paid 50 is because it was the day after they they went from $25 to $50. <laughs> and business is conducted in this place in a way that is Charlotte. It's a Charlotte place to do business. If you want to meet Jerry Richardson, he eats there every day. If you want to see Hugh McCall, he's probably there once a week. So the people who are of the city hang there. And I would always go where big shits hung. I, I'd hang with where Johnny Harris hangs, or I, I'd hang with, with uh, I'm friends with the, the Belks. I, you know, I, I make it my business to know people who count. I don't ask them for money. They'll recommend somebody to me. I don't have to worry about, well, you, let me, let's have a brief meeting. I don't want to have a brief meeting. I'll buy, let's, let's have lunch and fight over the check and you can win. <laughs> it's way better to do it that way. Mm -hmm. It's much more fun to do it that way. And eventually it turns into business.
But if you're if you're scrambling for business and you need 10 grand or 100 grand, you're not going to find it right away in Charlotte. You find it over time in Charlotte. And if you don't have that patience, it's not going to work. That is very and, true. And you have to do it honorably every time because one person can make it go to hell in a handbasket. One person. Gary was, was in a, a relationship with the Business Journal and some other guy was the equal guy who was in charge of the paper part. Gary's in charge of the dot-com part. That guy was a dick. He was a genuine dick. And it ends up that, um, I, don't, I think he's a waiter now at Shoney's. I'm not 100% positive what he does, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't want to do business with that guy because he's not going to live up to his word. He's going to try to figure out some angle. I don't want an angle. I, I, I got enough problems with angles. I grew up in Philly. Everyone has an angle. I yeah. sold in New York City for years. Everyone has an aunt, a goldfish, uh, a mistress, somebody that can get it for you cheaper, fell off the back of a truck. Some guy caught it just before it hit the ground. Ah, everyone has a deal. Everyone has a deal. And I'll tell you something that's pretty interesting. Some of my customers in New York City are pretty big companies like Oracle or Salesforce. And I'll start my conversation with the New York City Salesforce as follows. You know, salespeople think they know everything. But in New York, you actually do know everything. So anything I tell you today will just be a review. <laughs> And you know what? I own them. I own them from the first 10 seconds of my, of my seminar. Because I'm, they know I'm going to be funny and they know I'm going to be irreverent. And that's what they're hoping for. Yep. They're hoping for someone who's honest and real. And I don't have to go, well, you know, I started my company. No one gives a shit. In New York City, you think they give a shit? They're going to yell out, give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah and you know it's funny when you say if people like you and, and then they believe in you then they have confidence in you and they trust in you then they might buy from you the, the point is if you try to make yourself likable into somebody who you're not yeah you have You're to over. who you are and also show respect for somebody else. You have to have enough respect for yourself, but also show respect for somebody else. And even in the midst of your irreverence and, you know, uh, language that not everybody, uh, you know, approves of or, or whatever, the thing that I know is like, I know the Jeffrey Gittimer heart that will do anything just the, the example of hey you're back in town no i'm making you breakfast you come to my place yeah. that that's an example of jeffrey gettimer just being um, who he is i grew up in my dad's kitchen cabinet factory making kitchen cabinets and countertops i'm um, i ran the factory when i was 19 years old 100 guys i'm one of the few jews that can swing a hammer and i learned everything about doing stuff with my hands and one day i'm in charlotte and i'm riding with a friend of mine and her car gets a flat tire and it's raining and so i learned the secret 
growing up in New Jersey of how to change a tire real fast. Like you keep the tire, you don't jack it up until the lug nuts are almost off. And so I, I said, just, you know, she said, what do we do? I said, you sit here and I'll take care of it. And I changed the tire, probably took me five minutes. And I come back in the car and I'm kind of wet. And she goes, how do I thank you? And I said, never tell anyone I did it. That's the best way. If you can do it anonymously, mm. you can you can win. So yeah. if you want to, let me reinforce how you feel, Gary. After 9-11, my, my bagel story is Einstein's across the street. Literally, it's 100 yards away. I, I know the manager and I said, listen, for the near future, every time a cop, a fireman, or a soldier comes in here, breakfast is on me anonymously. Just say that somebody's here and they bought your breakfast and and la di da. They I bought so many breakfasts, they felt bad. They would only charge me half. Like I was getting my breakfast for half the money. But <laughs> think of how you think that guy felt good, or you think I felt good. Right. Yeah. Now. I also have taught my daughter, who's 11, I said, you see a cop, you see a fireman, you see a soldier, you do two things. You walk up to them and you look them in the eye and you, sh and you, and you thank them. And then you shake hands with them. And you do that every time without fail. And that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it? Wouldn't your mom and dad have taught you that? Right. So why are there people in the street thinking that they, they're entitled to a pair of Michael Jordan sneakers if something goes wrong? I don't understand that. And maybe I'm an idealist because I grew up in the 60s, but I mean, I, if I would have ever done anything like that, my parents would have taken away my life, not just my freedom. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you, you have to have a certain something inside of you that gives the other person confidence that you will do the right thing. If you, if you sell it and you do the right thing, you're going to have a relationship. If you sell it and make a mistake, you're not going to have a relationship. Right. And you know, people that are habitually late or people that are habitually on time. You already know who they are. Yep. You don't respect the ones that are late because they don't respect you. It's just, they don't respect your time. Mm -hmm. I, I had a mentor in South Florida. He said, Jeffrey, if you're not half an hour early, you're late. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, even if my ass falls off, I'm on time. So most of the stories that we've been talking through on this episode has been in-person experiences and things like that. But the book coming out is about connections. And mm -hmm. so I want to pivot a little bit and talk about creating that similar type experience that we've been talking about of, of putting the customer first, making sure that they're winning, things like that. Um, talk a little bit about what's in the book that people can expect when they pick it up of how you can take that same philosophy and apply it to the virtual world. The, the, the common thread is be yourself. Right. 
if you're in, if you're in a meeting with a Fortune 500 company CEO or you're on a Zoom meeting, you're either yourself or your toast. Because you have to remember who you were the last time you were in front of this guy. It's like, seriously? No, I, I, I don't have time for that. And you, you qualify or disqualify somebody based on the fact that they like you and they believe you. Mm-hmm. But um, luckily for me, in 1998, I built a studio here in our, in our uh, condo complex because I knew the future of the internet was on desktop, not in a classroom. The future of training was in was online. And so I have recorded a, a thousand hours minimum of stuff way before COVID hit. So when it hit, I was already comfortable with the camera. I was already comfortable with a teleprompter. Like I, I know what to do and you know, look at my YouTube channel. I got 7 million views of videos and it's because I'm comfortable and people like watching them. I don't drop F-bombs. I, I try to keep it as, as clean as I can because somebody, you know, I don't want a father looking at one of my videos and the little daughter go, daddy, who are the bastards? You know, I, it's not what I want. Right. So I try to keep the, the, the legacy stuff as clean as I possibly can. But in front of an audience, I, I let it go because I don't want somebody to feel like he didn't give it his best. He didn't, he didn't put his heart into it. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that real quick. And that is, you know, Jeffrey, I've met people, not the realest successful ones though. I mean, when I was in private equity, we had some really amazingly successful people and every one of them never ever even dreamed of retiring. But the other, a lot of other folks are like, well, once I hit this point, I'm done and sayonara. You, you look, and I'm not kidding you, 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 you haven't aged in 20 years. And, and I really mean that. You still have the same vim and vigor, the same kind of chutzpah that you did 20 years ago. And, you know, talk to us about that. And, and just through time, like, you just seem to be constantly curious, constantly creative, constantly enamored by the wonder of life. And is that just my perception or is that like real? Well, for me, uh, I'm a student. I've, I've been a student. Once I, I dropped out of college because I knew everything. And I landed in London when I was 20 years old I was going to spend a year in Europe traveling around and I got to Vienna and I didn't know who the Habsburgs were. And I had already spent a, two years in modern European history. And like, why didn't I know who these people were? So I realized that I had to learn new things every day or I wasn't going to get to that next level wherever it was. And that was at age 20. So you have to be a constant student, Gary. You just can't know it and then rest on those laurels wherever they are. So I'm, I'm in my chair every day learning, every single day, getting a new book, digging into somebody's hundred year old philosophies and, and realizing that they're more powerful today than they were a hundred years ago. Um, I, I follow a guy who wrote in the, at the turn of the last century, Orison Sweat Martin, 
And in one of his books, and it's, it's its own lesson, I can give you that when you show up here, but I can tell you that I bought a book from John Patterson's library, the founder of the National Cash Register Company. And he had underlined this book in his own hand. And one of the underlines was, every child should be taught to expect success as opposed to be taught 1619 revisionist history in school. That's bullshit. Yeah. And so I, I wanna know in my kid's school, how much success are they teaching? And I'm gonna give you the two word answer, not enough. Right. Uh, they don't teach them about goal setting. They don't teach them about attitude. They don't teach them about listening. Well, they do teach you listening. Hey, hey, pay attention. That's a listening lesson. Yeah, that's not listening. That's just being quiet while somebody else talks. Right. You don't so what, you listen. But, but what, this, uh, go ahead. What is success to you? Uh, success is doing what you want. <laughs> I mean, if, if you have the freedom to do what you want to do and you're not beholden like, oh, shit, I got to be at work at eight o'clock. I, I have appointments. I, I have commitments that I make to people, but... I'm, you know, come over, check it out. It's, I do what I want. I'll make you pancakes. And Ben, I hardly know you. Yeah, you're half price. Um, (laughs) But I'm not going to compromise. If the the grocery store doesn't have fresh orange juice, I'm going to go to another grocery store. I have ideals. And those ideals are not compromised no matter what. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to settle for, well, they didn't have this, so I got this. Seriously? Seriously? No, you don't do that. You just don't do that. If you, Second best in selling is first loser. There's no prize. There's no ribbon, there's trophy. There's no participation award. There's none of that shit. Yep. You either sell or die, the name of my podcast which by the way now has about 2.75 million downloads. Wow. Which wow. healthy. Yeah. Yeah, healthy. I do it with my wife and we're having a good time. Um, we're, you know, we're talking to each other and we do it literally, we do, we do the podcast now in different parts of the house because of COVID, our, our producer's not here every day. So she'll go downstairs and hang out in her office and we, we do StreamYard or Zoom together and we record the podcast. It looks like we're in different ends of the earth. But literally we're 50 feet apart, maybe 100. Right. Um, and the dogs are barking and, you know, who cares? Yeah. And I, I learned about this thing. It's ember. You know ember? We've been sitting here talking for an hour. My coffee's still hot. Really? 141 degrees, my own temperature. <laughs> it's a little thing. It runs on your phone. The world is, it's wow. unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, rest his soul. If my father was alive, he wouldn't know what the hell to do. <laughs> he would not know what the hell to do. He came, he came to Charlotte to watch me work when he was alive in the late 90s. And... I'm doing a thing at somebody's studio or something. I was doing a thing for a, a video company and he's watching my stuff. And um, you can tell who my, where I got my, my vernacular from. I look over and he's not there. I go, 
Pop, are you around? He goes, I can't find the fucking bathroom in this place. <laughs> and everyone cracked up. Everyone totally cracked up. So like, we're we're right at the end here, but but I wanna be I wanna be selfish and ask uh ask something that's been on my mind throughout this whole episode and, and that's prioritization, right? So we've talked about the morning routine and, and the right and meeting with people and running this, this massive sales uh, organization and speaking. And what is, what is that, whether it's time management or prioritization, what does that look like in your life? How do you make sure that the most important things get done? I don't, I rely on other people. But that's, how you, detail, that's how you do it. I'm not a detailed person. I'm, I wouldn't be good at setting my own thing. And so let me give you some reverence and irreverence. I go to a banquet after a, a seminar and they preset the table and there's dessert already on the table. You ever been to one of those things? Hmm. I eat the dessert. <laughs> and people go, you're eating the dessert. I go, yeah, you're going to eat yours. And so I, sometimes I'll have two desserts before the food hits the table. <laughs> so I eat dessert first. Because some people have no room for it. Like, that's the best part. Right. Why would you have no room for dessert? What are you, are you an idiot? <laughs> so that's my philosophy. My kid does the same thing. Daddy, can we eat dessert first? Like, they already know. She already knows where to go and what to do. And that, to me, that's, that's everything. I lead with humor. I eat dessert first and I help other people. Those are my prime strategies. And if you, if you lead with that, no matter what the size of your muscle is, you ever see Gary's muscles? Yeah. Those muscles. Huh? <laughs> Disgusting, isn't it? He's like lifting weights and shit and doing, you know, he's like, you have muscles? Ben? Yeah, you see, you see, me? Oh, yeah. He puts me to shame, man. He's a CrossFit guy. You've got a oh, you are. You've got yeah. a couple of years on me though, so hopefully, hopefully, I'll I'll be close to that when uh when I'm your age. <laughs> I used to run every day, and I found out that running does not help you live longer. It just seems longer. <laughs> and once, <laughs> once I realized that, I was in much better shape. <laughs> All right, Gary, I'm going to pass it over to you. you have any, any burning final oh, thoughts? Well, I knew this was going to be a fun one, and I didn't know where, where it was going to go. And we had 15 minutes of recording before we even launched this thing. So, Evan, why, don't we, why don't we regroup after the first of the year, after January the 20th? You know what January 20th is? Yep. Yeah, Inauguration yep. Day. Exactly. After January 20th, let's come over to the house. We'll have a, we'll, I'll set the recording stuff up in the kitchen and we can record a podcast in the kitchen about what has happened between today, December the 8th and January the 20th. That'd be fun. It would be. That sounds like a fantastic idea. So you're, you're more than invited. Um, we'll figure out a way. My, I'll get my wife to be here and we'll all, all five of us will sit around the table and shoot the shit. We'll have microphones. We'll have everything you need and we'll just, talk about what's going to happen now in 2021 yeah because everybody is on the edge of their seat wanting wanting to know number one what's going to happen in that world 
and what's going to happen in your world. Yeah. There's two yeah. worlds, there's the world and there's your world. Yep. People don't understand that you need to spend twice as much time in your world as you do in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do the opposite. They, they literally yeah. will spend hours binge watching some stupid ass program. Yeah. Man, that's, that is such good stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yep. And I'm looking forward to reading your book, um, your next book. Your Is this your 18th book or your 17th book? 17th book. 17th book. Yeah. Yep. So, and again, that's, that's go live, turn virtual connections into paying customers. So everybody else out there, Again, if you've been living under a rock, you go just Google Jeffrey Gittimer, G-I-T-E-M-O-M-E-R, G-I-T-O-M-E-R, um, and you'll find him. And uh, hopefully this uh, podcast has inspired you and, and got, caused you to think a little bit more and hopefully given you a, additional courage to just be who you uniquely are. That's why we call this thing the Anything But Typical podcast, because not just all of our guests are anything but typical, but you are too. You've got a unique fingerprint by design. So Ben, thank you so much for doing this, for inviting me into your podcast. Jeffrey, thank you for being my friend for the last 20 years. My pleasure. You and admire what you've been able to do and, and what you do to help other people. So my people will call your people. We'll set the next one up. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. And take care of yourself. <clears throat> thank you. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Jeffrey, thank Family. you so much. <laughs> My pleasure. You guys take care of yourselves. Cheers.